morning. I am Pastor Megan, and I am really glad that I drew the straw for Romans 12 as we continue through a series on the good life, on the good life. There's been a lot of love in the news. Who watched the, the Windsor wedding yesterday? Did you hear a good message about love? Yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about some good love today. Um, Pastor Mark uh, introduced for us Romans 12 last week, talking about love that is genuine. And he explained to us about how uh, God's love is agape love. It's unconditional. And he explained about how God's love is genuine. In, in the Greek, that was the word non-hypocritical. That the, God, the, the love that God gives us is unconditional, non-hypocritical, true as true as love can get. And because we're where we are in Romans, what we understand now from Romans 1 to 11 is that we were worth saving into that love. But God had made a major movement toward us so that we could experience his love. And now Paul gets really practical as he asks us to give that love to everyone, to everyone, not just people that we would stand at the altar with, uh, but as the passages today will unlock, we are also to give that love to our enemies. Enemy's not a word that we use a lot today. I'm not sad about that. I'm not sad that we don't use the word enemy very much. I, I have a hard time remembering a time when an adult called another adult their enemy. It's just not really a word that we use, right? Even in when legal battles get really messy, I really still, or I was also thinking about some, some of y'all with your sports rivalries, you'll stop just short of calling someone your enemy, right? And so who is God calling us to love? I want us to go ahead and start to picture who this is that God is asking us to love. I, th- I think that it is, it is good and well and right for us to include within enemies people who just don't like you. Anybody got one of those in your life? I think it's okay to include people in this list who you would rather they weren't your neighbor. It's okay if they live here. You just don't really want them next to you. I think it's okay to include in this list of people who you know are avoiding you or people who can be passive aggressive with you. This enemy, the people who are living life against you. Do you have anybody like that in your life? I actually want you to have a name and a picture in mind, because I'm about to get all up in your mental business about how God wants you to live life with this person, okay? So I want you prayerfully to bring, let Jesus bring to mind the people that are difficult for you to love. And let's read this passage the way that God wants us to interact with them. We're in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to pick up a verse from last week, kind of a header verse for us today. From Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Actually, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Skip to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I do pray that we would have two people in mind as we hear your word today. Would we have you in mind in the way that you have loved us? And would we have real people in mind, people that you call us to love? And would you transform us by the power of your spirit that we might be able to love them with the love that you share with us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Who's been to the movies recently? Anybody been to the movies? Larry and I love the movies. Did anybody go see Ready Player One? A couple. Okay, this is not a generational thing. There were only two people at Saturday night who'd seen Ready Player One either, okay? So I know that this is not a headliner movie, and I'm bringing it up even without the plug of like, the whole, this, is, this is not the movie that like, the whole gospel comes to life in this movie, you really must see it. But there's a great picture in it, okay? And so I am on good conscience going to totally spoil alert the, one of the opening scenes, okay? So this is a, this is a movie that uh, is uh, based in the future where there's a total alter reality. This is the, the lead character in his virtual reality suit. And it's loaded with um, Easter eggs from 1980s and 90s pop culture. So those of us who lived through that era really enjoy it. And all of a sudden you're like, that's why I didn't go see it, Megs. Yeah, I'm not into this. So just stick with me, Okay. So it has this really powerful opening scene where there's this race. It's this car race in the alternate reality world where they have been trying to win the same race every day for 17 years. And it unfolds exactly the same way every day. Here's the video of it. It has the same explosion, the same monster truck, the same crashes, the same Godzilla appearance. And at the end of it, every single time King Kong is going to come in the middle and prevent any car that would win from getting across the finish line. But then one day, the main character who you see right there, the main character unlocks this hidden key. He unlocks a hidden key that he thinks just might change the game and allow him to win. One day you can see his hesitation as he tries this secret. He lets everybody get off the starting line and then he throws his car into reverse. He slams on the gas and he heads straight for the building that's right behind him like he's going to crash into it. He really thinks that something's going to change. And sure enough, as soon, right before he hits the building, this trap door opens and his car goes, finds this low road and all of a sudden he's riding on a, on a low road road underneath the whole racetrack. And what's cool is that the racetrack above him becomes completely transparent. And so he sees the same race that he's been racing every day with a completely different perspective. He sees and can anticipate Godzilla popping up and King Kong popping up. He can see all the crashes. He sees it all, but from a completely different perspective. And he, because he's underneath it all, gets to go as fast as he wants to, all the way to the finish line under King Kong, wins the race, gets the prize. Boom. It's amazing. And I haven't gotten as far away from Romans as you think. So just stick with me, okay? I know. The DeLorean found a new way, a new way underneath it all to run that same dog-eat-dog race by finding a hidden key that unlocked this low road. And that low road didn't change the race at all, didn't change the struggles that were happening in the race at all, but it completely changed his perspective on it. And I want to bring to you today that walking with God 
is an invitation to a transparent good life. A transparent life on a low road where we go through all the same daily struggles, but with a completely different perspective on it all. When you live life with Jesus, it's like you can see through it. You can see the challenges and you can anticipate them. And by the power of the Spirit, you can slam the gas down and go all the way through to the end, overcoming all of life's struggles, winning the race, and getting the prize. Amen. I haven't even gotten started yet. So what I want to unlock, I want to give you the hidden key. I want to give you the hidden key and see if you will give this different way a try. The hidden key is God's love. It's God's love. And walking out that low road is giving away God's love even to our enemies. God's love opens us for us a low road. And when we take that low road, we find out that Romans 12, 21 is true. We overcome evil with good and we win. I think we Christians like the idea of taking the high road. I've been encouraged to do that throughout my life. You take the high road by just not responding to evil, to enemies, the same way that the world does. But Jesus is calling out more from us. He wants us to actively take a low road, a different way, just as he did. So let's look and see. Paul's going to give us four practical ways to walk out this low road, to give love to our enemies. And it starts in Romans chapter 12 with verse 14. We're going to pray that God would bless our enemies. That's the first way. We're going to pray. We're going to talk to God about our enemies. And we're going to ask God to bless them. Verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. What does that mean? We like the word blessing as a culture. You're going to find it just about anywhere. And I think people even who don't know God have a conception of blessing that probably includes material comfort, friendship, and a conception of the good life, right? And God's blessing is that, but it's so much more. You guys are going to have to work with me this morning, okay? I hope you had your coffee. Blessing and curse is what's here in Romans 12, 14. These two words go together in Old Testament language. Blessings and curses were the result of formal relationships. When formal relationships called covenants went well, you got blessings. And when formal relationships were broken, you got curses. It's not that unfamiliar in our world, even though we don't use the word covenant. Okay, we have formal relationship agreements that come with responsibilities and blessings when they go well and consequences when they don't. We have MOUs. We have legally binding agreements. We have marriage licenses. We have visa and green card processes that come with responsibilities and consequences. It's not terribly foreign to us. In Paul's day and age, when they used the word covenant, it was well and good and assumed that when your covenant relationship went well, you would bless them. And when someone broke that relationship, you would curse them. That was, that was normative. Covenants were normal in the ancient pagan culture, but Paul's referring to one covenant in particular. 
He's referring to a covenant that God made with his people, the Israelites. And several places in the Old Testament get into what exactly this covenant agreement was and list out the blessings and the curses. One of those is Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 has 53 verses of curses. And I got to tell you, they're pretty serious and uh, they're pretty dramatic. All of these, uh, what makes it really hard, we're not going to read the epic 53 verses of curses. I know you're disappointed. But what makes this epic saga in Deuteronomy even harder to read is that you, you realize that these curses were spoken over people who broke covenant with God. And don't you know that God's people are not going to be able to keep covenant with God? We have a hard time thinking about the curses of God. So thanks be to God, we have Jesus, and we know the end of the story. And Deuteronomy is here at the beginning. And then by the time you get to the end, you get to read things like Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians was written by Paul as well. And he says, Christ redeemed us. He bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I bring up those 53 verses because they're serious and important because Jesus took all 53 verses of curses upon himself so that we could have restored relationship with God. He wanted to know us as son and daughter. He wanted to be able to extend all of those blessings to us. So when we broke the covenant, he took the curses upon himself. Until we had Jesus, we were God's enemies. But do you remember Romans 5 from earlier this fall that we studied? While we were yet sinners, while our relationship with God was broken— Did he curse us? Finish that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Jesus moved to restore perfect relationship with God through his own death. And now we receive his blessings. What incredible love is this. Jesus died for us, his enemies. So Jesus says that, yes, while you expect that those who hate you, you get to curse them. That's the cultural normative. Jesus makes a new way, and he asks us to do the opposite. He asks us to bless our enemies because Jesus did the opposite to us. He did not curse us. He died for us so that we could receive blessings and so that we could ask God to give those same blessings to our enemies as well. We discover those, that list of blessings. Blessings are very tangible. They're real. And Deuteronomy 28 lists out some of those blessings as well. I want you to hear them. Hear the blessing that God speaks over you and over our enemies. The Lord God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I love the idea of blessing overtaking you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. And on and on the blessings go for 13 verses. Do you remember the name of your enemy? Still have that picture in mind of the person who doesn't like you? Could you imagine praying blessing like this over them? Have you ever prayed blessing for their kids by name? Have you ever prayed God's blessing over their business that it would flourish just like the land flourishes and is fruitful? Can you imagine speaking blessing, asking God to bless your enemy? 
Can you fathom the love that God has for you and for me and for your enemy? If you want to stop fighting the same fight with someone, you're going to have to open up a new way. Open up a new way through God's love that opens up a new road, a new perspective on what's really the fight is all about by praying God's blessing for them. The next three of Paul's ways get just harder, so just get ready for it, okay? We take the low road of God's love for people when we pray for them and when we don't repay them the evil that they've done to us. Pray and don't repay. Let me read you Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Tell me, how much do you think of your thought life has been taken up thinking about how much this person hurt you? Like, could you actually calculate in hours how much you've thought and racked up the offenses against you? How much have, how many, How much time have you spent thinking through the same conversation you'd like to have with them? God invites you to a new way, a lower way of thinking, taking up your thought life, thinking about how to do what is honorable in the sight of all. God wants you to think about your response, not what they've done. And when you think about that response, he wants you to think about how to respond in a way that's honorable to all. This example might be a little petty, but I'm hoping that it'll resonate for you, okay? So I was talking, uh, I was overhearing actually, some preschool moms talking about what to do for birthday invitations. Who do you invite to the birthday? If this kid didn't invite you, you don't have to invite them, right? It's even Stephen, one for one. Well, I actually think that there was a call to think about what might be honorable in the sight of all. If you're inviting the whole class, the low road is not leaving out those one or two who left out your child. Don't repay evil for evil, but give thought. Take up your thought life thinking about how to respond in a way that would give honor in the sight of all. We've got pray, don't repay, and third, live at peace. Verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Okay, you guys are going to like this one because Paul gets super practical with us and nuances how we are to live in love. Don't you just appreciate there's a couple caveats here? There's, if it's possible, it might not be, as far as it depends upon you— I don't want to make this a, a blanket statement, but I'm, I'm, I was really pastorally proud, if you will, of a way I think I've seen someone living out this nuanced way of living peaceably with all. So I want to share this example with you, not as a rule, but as, as, a, as a way I've seen a good response. So I'm going to put, it, put, it on, put it, the story into, into your voice so as to not reveal who they are. So let's say your spouse wants a divorce and you don't. You know it takes two to tango, so you start going to counseling yourself, and you're willing to own all your own stuff and work out all your own way. You're willing to take before Jesus 100% of the hurts and habits and hang-ups that you have contributed to this relationship. You've owned your side as far as it depends upon you, but your spouse still wants to move in with someone else. 
So I've seen her ask if it's possible. Only God knows if it's possible, right? God is the God of the impossible. So if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, owning your own aspect of things, live peaceably with all. Who are you to live peaceably with? Okay, I'm just going to let that sink in right there. Pray, don't repay, live at peace, and fourth, take care, take care. Pick up in verse 19. Beloved, I love this interjection. It's like my friend going, oh, friend, with that look, and you know that whatever's coming out of their mouth, you're you're not going to be excited about. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, if you think a little bit like I do, you're a little excited that this little chunk of verses is there because it sounds like your enemy is going to get what's coming to him, even though you might not be the one to do it. So you get to read about wrath and vengeance and heaping burning coals upon your head. And uh, unfortunately or fortunately, you uh, may or may not like what I'm about to say. Um, This verse 20 about heaping burning coals, it's not the Christian passive-aggressive kill them with kindness coming. When you, you force a life of living peaceably because you're holding out really aggressively for the wrath and vengeance of God, it's pretty contrary to the way of Jesus, who's very concerned about both the inside and the outside. And if you're really excited about a vengeful God coming down on your enemies, it's really out of context of the God who offers agape genuine love, right? So uh, I, I told this to my friend that this wasn't the kill them with kindness kind of thing. And so she said, so do I still have to sign up to take a crockpot meal to that mom who really doesn't like me? I'm like, well, you're just going to have to think about that. Maybe. I want to explain what I see in these passages. Uh, Do you see that verses 19 and 20 are in quotes? All that part about uh, uh, vengeance is mine. That's because Paul's quoting the Old Testament here. He's quoting somewhere else. The feeding and the burning of the coals is from the book of Proverbs, a book that is about how to live the good life. And both there and here, that heaping burning coals upon your head doesn't have the connotation of uh, punishment. It's about surprising your enemy to repentance. It's about getting them to look up, see where the coals are coming from. They're heaping burning coals upon their head. Their eyes are going to look up and they're going, where's that kindness coming from? And it's about turning them to the God of love, causing them by the way that you feed them and give them something to drink, the way you take care of them to look up and to recognize that this is coming from a place of love. It's not kill them with kindness. It's give life to them with kindness. Make them aware of life. The aim of taking care of your enemy is not to get them to see what's coming to them. I really hope you'll believe me and go with me on this. The aim of your life the way you take care of your enemies is for them to recognize that what was coming to them was taken by Jesus on the cross. The promise that God makes to repay, 
to repay you for all the offenses done against you, the abuse, the pain, the things you have stolen from you, the way you've been misrepresented and misunderstood. All of that is worthy of repayment. And it was repaid by Jesus on the cross when he died. And it's done. And I think it's worth saying that in that same moment, every way that you and I have caused offense and abused and stolen from and misrepresented and mistreated and hated, those offenses got repaid there in that moment as well. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So your enemy is gifted right relationship with you because they've also been gifted right relationship with God. I wonder if that's hard for you to hear. I know forgiveness can be really hard to extend, and I spent time thinking in preparation for this about why it has been hard for me to extend forgiveness. And this is, this is not beautiful. This is ugly, but I— I think that this is true. It was hard for me to extend forgiveness because I wanted to know for sure that they hurt as much as I hurt. I wanted to repay that pain by making sure they felt it. I wanted to make sure I got all my words out so that they got to the same place that I was in pain. It was until I realized that Actually, that pain done to me was very expensive. That repayment cost a lot. And it cost the life of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died to buy back that moment of sin. Jesus says, vengeance is mine. He's quoting actually back from Deuteronomy. 32, when all those blessings and curses were listed, when all that covenant relationship was worked out. And he said, vengeance is mine. And I think we've misunderstood what he means when he says that. Our God was right and holy in writing out a list that came with blessings and curses. We don't like the curse side, we don't think, except that we do. Because deep down, we really want for there to be a curse for evil. We really want 53 verses of curses for what happened in Santa Fe. We really do want there to be repayment for evil. But here's the thing. God doesn't fight fire with fire. When he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God doesn't claim the right to pour out vengeance on sinners. God pours out love on sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? When God claims vengeance is mine, he's saying it's mine to take. God didn't pour out his wrath on sinners. He poured out his love, his vengeance he poured out on his own son. Let me explain this to you. When he made out the list of curses in Deuteronomy, he knew that that vengeance was going to come down on himself. When a covenant is made, two people sign it. Just like today, when you make an agreement, two people are signing. Two people signed the covenant. God's covenant with his people, but it wasn't God and his people. God put Abraham to sleep. 
and he signed on both dotted lines. So when Abraham and the people of Israel broke the covenant with God, the only party receiving the curses was God himself. God knew what he was signing up for in relationship with us, and he wanted us to have the blessings not the curses. So he took the curse upon himself, knowing that it would cost his own life to be in relationship with us. He's already made payment for the evil that was done in Santa Fe on Friday. God has already made payment for the bitterness that you are so desperate to hold on to. And God has already made payment for what you hold against yourself. It is done. It was finished with him on the cross. You have to ask, do you believe that was enough? Is that expensive enough for you? Pray. Don't repay, live at peace, and take care of your enemy. Finally, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is an epic battle being waged here, an epic battle for everyone to experience the good life. If you want to win, you can't fight fire with fire. You have to be willing to make the same sacrifices that Jesus did and take the low road. Do you want to see what the struggles of your life are really about and why this thing won't go away? Open up a new perspective. Let God's love open up a new perspective, a different way. Jesus is a new way. His payment is a new forgiveness. His blessing is available to all. So I want to encourage you, slam on the brakes. Stop going that way. Go a new way and let God open up a new road, a road in which we bend down and we serve. We take care. We take the place of humility Recognize the cost of your life was the same cost as the life of your enemy. And let that form a deep gratitude in you, a deep thankfulness for God who loves you. Fight in this battle by all means. Overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. By taking the good low road of a great God who loves you. I've talked a lot about the death of Jesus, but you should know, if you don't know already, that death was not the end for our God on the cross. Because the power of God lives in him, three days later, he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven in the presence of many witnesses. And weeks later, he sent his Holy Spirit, the spirit that raised him from the dead, he sent to dwell in each one of us. So that his agape, unconditional love would take deep root in our lives. That we could have restored relationship with God and restored relationship with one another. That message that came that day of Pentecost 
was the good news that God has made a new way for relationship with him and relationship for one another. And that message was passed through miraculous languages being spoken. It went to many nations and nations to nations and generation to generation until we have the chance in America this morning to receive that message and to also be carriers of that message into countries, and into the next generations. Do you want in on that? Do you believe that? We're going to have a time of response, um, a, a song of response. And the first thing I want you to ask is, do I believe it? Do I believe that this epic battle is real? Do I believe that the price that Jesus paid is expensive enough? for the evil that I've endured, for the evil that I've caused. Secondly, I want to invite you to pray blessing for your enemy. Be free from holding anything against them anymore. Take a new road and pray blessing. And then finally, ask the Spirit to fill you anew. That day in Pentecost was not a one and done. The Spirit of God is available to all of us, and I want to invite you to ask the Spirit to fill you. God has opened up a new way. It doesn't change the struggles of the world, but it sure does change our perspective on him, and it changes our ability to go, serve, finish the race, and win the prize. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would you change something in people's hearts today? That name, that face that was causing them pain and hurt, Jesus, would we believe that your gift of your life was expensive enough to set them free, to be free ourselves? Jesus, would, today would we be done with having enemies? Jesus, would we learn to pray blessing over those who don't like us? Lord, would we learn to take the low road of service and care for people? Would your Holy Spirit fill us that we might really know perfect relationship with you all the time and so perfect relationship with one another. Change us.